Welcome to Practical Access. I'm Lisa Deaker. And I'm Rebecca Hines. And Lisa, I think you have today's question up and ready. I can't wait to hear it. Yeah, so it's one that I've already listened to. I'm going to let you lead on it because I need a little interpretation um, on your side of exactly what this amazing listener is asking. And thanks for being a great seventh grade language arts teacher because I know that's your background. And uh, we know those seventh graders are unique will be the word I'll use. So this is from Katie. Hi, my name is Katie. I'm a seventh grade language arts teacher. I recently heard the idea of student-centered teaching, so I wanted to know if you had some tips on how to incorporate this with medical school students. Thank you. Hmm. Well, I can see why you needed my interpretation. There's a couple of things there to unpack. What I think I heard was, this is a seventh grade teacher looking for some student-centered teaching ideas. The tricky thing is it sounds a little bit like in middle, medical school, but I'm going to interpret that as middle school. Well, I so think let's, Google Voice translated it. So we'll assume that was middle school. Yeah, Google Voice school. is not reliable. <laughs> so I, I am sure this is a middle school issue and you're right, that is my background. And honestly, it was my passion as a teacher. So student-centered teaching, um, I'm going to I'm going to give kind of two different types of responses to this. I will tell you that I'm not I'm not looking at some formal description of that. Um, in general, my approach to student-centered teacher teaching was always to flip the script a bit on students and to create a classroom in which everyone was interdependent in the teaching and learning process, including me. So I worked hard to train my students to be teachers. And we even dissected what teaching is. I literally showed them how to write lesson plans. So it became an expectation that, that students ended up being a part of the teaching force. Now, that's not to say that I sat back and ate chips while my students taught my classes. Absolutely not. However, they were very well versed in things like teaching mini lessons, preparing mini lessons, um, pulling key information out of a textbook to share. And we worked closely, you know, to decide what our strengths were. Uh, we, everybody didn't always produce the same thing. Everybody worked with their strengths. So I only share that because that is something that I absolutely did. And anybody who's worked with adolescents knows one key drawback. It's a time uh, in life where kids are really insecure. So if you, if, you, if, you, if you don't do this in a way that kind of respects who kids are personally, and if you, if you try to artificially push them out of their bounds without letting them kind of come to you, then it, it pushes them away and it becomes really aversive for some of the students. So I, I have to say that my goal as a middle school teacher was always to create a classroom where literally our, our desks were in a circle and we were all looking eye to eye at each other and having conversations. So I, I will start by saying, thinking about a classroom where students have more input and feel valued, but also trust that I'm not going to humiliate them and make them do something that makes them feel stupid because that's, that was so evident in many, many kids in middle school. 
Yeah, it's funny. Well, I, and I think, Becky, I'm going to step back and just let my students do things and I'm going to eat chips and dip. No, I'm just kidding. So, <laughs> uh, but I do agree that I think sometimes people think, you know, oh, I'll just turn the learning over to the kids and it'll be easy. Actually, it's the opposite. And I really re- respect Katie's question to think that through in advance. And, you know, I, I know that we both love kind of unique classroom designs. We respect the fact that social distancing right now is causing some issues there, but like I'm the lover of a U shape and having a double U, not the letter W, but kids in front, kids in back and letting the front lead part of a project, let the back lead another half and then letting kids learn from each other. So, you know, if I'm doing uh, improper fractions and mixed numbers, maybe the back's doing a project that they're going to show the other group about mixed numbers and the other is going to do improper fractions. So I think it's that kind of thinking that I think is really motivating to students. But here's what I would say, and this will be shocking for you, structure, structure, and more structure. I tend to be a structure person, but you are too, whether it's online or face-to-face. And here's what I've learned. Um, I do something like this for my graduate class. And I always say that the first three weeks of class, they have to tell me what they're going to do. So just because it's student-led doesn't mean it's student all over the place. You want them to commit and you want them to commit to something they love because here's what I find. They often want to please you So they try to commit to the way they think you want them to do it instead of the way they really want to do it. That takes a lot of motivation on their part, but it's also a lot of your letting go. So if you're a control freak, (laughs) student-led learning is really hard because it's about them leading and you listening. And I think that's, that's one advice. So other thoughts from you? Um, sure. I actually, I agree wholeheartedly. Structure really matters. I, it, I think that we jump into things so often without having a plan and a structure. And anyone who knows me knows that I am on, on surface um, a very abstract person. And I, and I am. However, I understand patterns and I understand reducing the mental load for an audience And that's what I always strive to do with my students. So if that's my goal, I have to do that also if I'm a middle school teacher. You know, I have to put these structures in place that support everybody looking good and not constantly trying to, you know, even sometimes the most well-intentioned teachers are always bringing in brand new resources and brand new things they find, which is great, but don't add another layer if we don't have this one, you know, already sailing smoothly. That's terrible. That was really, that that was like a real mixed um, analogy, but you're welcome. Um, So anyway, so when I think of student-centered teaching, um, I think like putting the students ahead of, planning around my students, not just my curriculum. Okay. So again, that comes back to a lot of, you know, person-centered learning in general and figuring out and getting to the heart of what every student needs. And using conferencing, I think I've talked about it before, and I know you know I talk about it all the time when I'm working with collaborative teachers and there's more than one teacher in the classroom, but having many conferences, I try to tell teachers, the main thing to remember is every student every day, Mm -hmm. literally every student every day. And I think that's a little trickier now that we've got some kids online and some at home, et cetera. But having a personal, what are you going to do today? What are you going to accomplish today? Here's where you are right now. What are you going to do today? And literally 
having a quick connect with kids. So whether it's everybody getting started on something silently at the very beginning of class so I can walk by every student and connect for a second to put them at the forefront of my attention for the day. I think middle school in particular, we start going from um, elementary where teachers at sometimes, you know, are more accustomed to having those kind of little side conferences and, and talking to kids personally. In middle school, kids don't want to talk to you. <laughs> so it's tricky because it's like, okay, well then I'm not going to, you know, not going to rock the boat, not going to poke the bear. Um, but some, but I think we have to find ways to do that. So goal setting, I mean, we talk about goal setting all the time. So whether it's kids setting goals, or as you mentioned, um, having, a, having a specific plan. And as I mentioned, if I'm asking kids to lead something, I want to see their sketch. I want to see their plan. And the other thing I would really reinforce just because we're talking about middle school is specific feedback and natural feedback. So if we're sitting in a horseshoe or if we're sitting in a circle, we need to look kids in the eye. If they say something that's either not in-depth enough and they can give you more, you know, if they're capable of more, but they just have this learned helplessness of not contributing, or even our brightest kids will just give the most, you know, basic response. It's okay to say, I think you've got more. Think about it and get back to me. I'm going to ask Lisa now, but I think you've got more. And really pushing kids. I think we need to be focused on individuals and helping them get to their highest level. So I, I, Becky, when I heard this question, I just have to tell you a personal, really quick, funny story. I immediately thought of coffee cans. And I know you're like, what? But I still remember in middle school, I, I, a funny quick story about me is I, I am definitely not an artist uh, at all. Like, like sick people are questionable for me. I get most of the body parts, but not all of them. And I, the one C I got in elementary, yes, I'm still, still traumatized by it was an art. But in middle school, I went to a very small K country school with 100 kids in it, got a new teacher, all about project-based learning. I still remember that. But here's what's funny is we had coffee cans and we had these things we had to do and we turned them in, you know, very, very much somebody that was a forward thinker. But she kept saying, you can do art. I'm like, no, you don't understand. I can't. <laughs> like, I was so traumatized. And in language arts, she never required it. But she was a, She had a background in art. And so anytime I did anything, I'm pretty sure she gave me the Nobel Peace Prize and, and would say just what you just said. Not only did you do it, but look at how much better it is this time because you keep trying. And so I think that's what really we want for student-centered learning is perseverance and motivation coming from within and that internal instead of that extrinsic motivation that we often see. And so I just will end with, you know, you talked about discussion. We both love Socratic circles. Uh, we love the power of students, but I really think if you're looking for a great place to start, I would go to project-based learning site, PBL, uh, and just really look for some beginning tools, some practices. You don't have to go full blown, try one thing, like take this reading story and say, all right, you can choose any way you want to show me that you know this, or you can draw, or you can write, or you can dance. One of those three, smart, start smart, small, start small, but don't make it about showing me what you're going to do. You're going to perform for your class. Think about it as a performance. And I think when students start performing in a gentle way and teach um, kindness 
teach students how to be good audience members and to say nice things, you know, and if you're going to give feedback, then it should come from the adult, but it should be private, not public. And I think those are the things that can really make for a great um, start for your, for your classroom, Katie. And you mentioned, Lisa, I'll, I'll, you mentioned um, PBL um, checklist actually website also has a lot on how you can score and grade, et cetera, and use rubrics um, to grade project-based learning, which makes it a lot easier for the audience to give feedback. Um, and I, I will just reiterate, you mentioned um, Socratic circles. If you're looking for resource at secondary level, Socratic seminar, if you Google that, I, I believe Read, Write, Think website has something on it, but just go and find one tool like that that puts the students more, more, more of the center stage in your room. And again, I really would say anybody working with middle school, um, as Lisa mentioned, having a, a UDL mindset where there's more than one way for students to demonstrate what they've done, uh, I would advise that as well. Because, because whether a student has a disability or not at middle school, they have this particular sensitivity that some kids would rather just take an F than to look or feel foolish. So I did always give options in my class, uh, at least two options. You can write it or you can perform it. You know, something simple like that. Well, thank you for joining us. Thanks for the question, Katie. Again, please don't be shy in sending us uh, messages on our Facebook, on our Twitter, and you can find the phone number there at Access Practical.